Greetings, nostalgers, and welcome to our podcast. Now that's nostalgic. It's time to play a game. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Now that's nostalgic. I am your host for the evening, Fernando Lau. I, in this case, as you heard in the last episode, will be doing this episode solo. Uh, This movie is the 2004 horror movie Saw. Now, um, my wife cannot do this movie. She, I told her, I was like, you know, hey, take this one out. You get a buy. Because, uh, you know, this one could be a little bit intense if, you know, you can't handle, like, you know, a lot of blood, a lot of gore. And and I'll say this, too. To defend the Saw film, by the way, um, the first Saw is not so much about all the blood and the gore as much as everything from, from part two uh, onward. The first one is more like a a psychological murder thriller, whereas um, everything after the first one was a lot more like torture porn. You know, it was in the same mindset of like the Hostel movies and, you know, all, you know just all, all that stuff. I'm not saying that um, that Saw doesn't have its fair share of it, but the, 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 the Saw movie, the first one, is not so much preoccupied with the traps. Everything from the sequel onward is more about yeah let's see the let's see the bones snap let's see them in pain. It was more about the traps uh, from the second one onward. Uh, but if you got the chance to watch the first one, uh, it's a fantastic film. I think they're all great. I've seen all the Saw movies. I have seen uh, every one one through seven. I even saw the uh, the Jigsaw movie when they tried to bring back uh, the franchise. Not a big fan of that one. Um, we're going to talk about um, today uh, the other episodes as well. We're mostly going to be talking about part one, but um, you know, there's parts of other movies that tie together with part one because there are certain things that do happen uh, that tie together with the movie. And I will give credit in that respect because it's very hard to keep some continuity after six to seven films. It's hard to do that after like three to four. But then when you get to six to seven and you could somehow tie back something from seven back to one and it makes so much sense and you're like no way that that that's really good writing this is also uh one of the first horror movies that i ever saw that uh, were, were movies i'll even say in general that honestly left my jaw dropped uh, a little bit um like there there are movies that have a lot of like surprise endings like uh like seven and fight club and you, you know so many other movies out there that i could probably sit there and name but this was one of the first ones where I'm watching it and we get to the ending and I legitimately am like, oh my God, no way. Like my jaw literally like opened up and I was like, no way did that really just happen? That's that, that, that didn't happen. No way. That's crazy. But I love the Saw movie. Uh, we'll talk about all the franchise, uh, the whole franchise as a whole in a second. But first, let's talk about um, our actors. Uh, we have Carrie Ells, we have Danny Glover, Shawnee Smith, Tobin Bell, and one of the original writers in the movie. Uh, I believe he's also taken director's credit as well because he, wa- he wrote it with uh, with James Wan. Uh, it's Lee Winnell. He's actually um, Adam in the movie. He's the other gentleman, not Carrie Ells in the bathroom that's trapped in there. He's the other gentleman that's the photographer. And that's really cool because even the one of the guys who even wrote it did it. And and in reality, it was a necessity because this movie is so low budget. Like it's 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 considered one of the most first off one of the most profitable uh, horror movies ever. It's up there with like Scream and the Blair Witch Project um, because of the fact that it it was done on a very low budget 
And it did so well monetarily profitable wise that it is considered one of the most profitable uh, horror movies in general, th- th- this first movie. And if you watch it, <laughs> it's clear as day that it is so low budget because they wake up in a bathroom. Everything is uh, v- very low budget. The movie was shot in 18 days in total. And what I think is really cool, we'll talk about the plot in a second. Just I want to talk about this one fact before we get into it, is that the bathroom scenes, everything that is the bathroom scenes were, were shot in sequence, like from the first part of the movie all the way to the end of the movie, it wasn't shot out of sequence. Like they didn't go to the ending first. They did it from what I read uh, more. So that way the actors, Lee Winnell and Carrie Ells, can get more into the feeling and the mindset of uh, what it's like to actually be trapped in there fighting for your life and everything. So now that we've at least talked about that, we're going to talk about the movie. Now, the movie starts off, like I mentioned, uh, Adam and uh, Dr. Gordon, Dr. Lawrence Gordon, who is Carrie Ells. Adam is uh, Lee Winnell. They are trapped in a bathroom, tied together by the ankle to uh, steel pipes. And they wake up in the room to find out uh, that they turn on these lights that are really, really bright and find out there is a dead body in the middle of the room with its head blown off and blood splattered all over the floor. That's the situation that they wake up into. It's like one of those games that you play on like a website where it's like you wake up and you don't remember where you are, but you have to escape the room somehow. That's exactly what this is. This is an escape room. That's <laughs> if, you, if you made Saw into an escape room, which I believe I read somewhere that there is one, I'm sure it'd be a lot of fun. But once they find out um, that they're there, they find, hey, we have these tapes that say what our mission is. So the person that shot himself in the middle of the room, and we'll talk about that character in a little bit, has a tape recorder. And this tape recorder is a very, very famous staple from this movie because it starts off like how like at the beginning couple of movies, they start to play that as a tape. Then later on, when we get into like the later sequels, the same way that we introduce every um, trap is with a VHS or an audio file or something. So that's where it started. It started off with the cassette tape. Later on went into Billy the Puppet. Yes, the name of it is Billy the Puppet, not Jigsaw. A lot of people call the puppet Jigsaw. The puppet's name is Billy. It's not Jigsaw. Jigsaw's the name of the killer. Billy's the name of the puppet. Just one. I, I, that always bothered me a little bit when people, I'd go to cons and people are dressed as Billy and they're like, oh, it's Jigsaw. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not, it's not Jigsaw. No. You wouldn't necessarily call the xenomorph, ooh, look, aliens. Like, you might because of the reference, but it's a xenomorph. Like, you know, just, um, whatever. So we, uh, we come to the tape, and we hear Adam's tape, and we find out that Adam is in there because he has been a bit of a dickish photographer, and he's been doing all this crap around town and yada, yada, yada. Dr. Gordon's mission is that he has to kill Adam. Because his family's been kidnapped, and if he doesn't kill Adam by the time the clock strikes, I think it's uh, 5 o'clock, that they're going to kill his, his wife and his daughter. So now he's under a time constraint because he's like, well, damn, I don't, this is a very serious situation. I might actually have to murder somebody in order to be able to save the people I love. This is, this is going to suck. And throughout the whole thing, they're given like little clues. That's what Jigsaw does, by the way. In his messages, he might give you little clues. Like at one point, he whispers... Which leads to Dr. Gordon saying, hey, there's a, a heart drawn on the toilet tank. 
that we might be able to find some other, you know, literally shit <laughs> that might be able to save us. You know, so there's little things that uh, Jigsaw does. He gives you, he, he, he puts you in these unwinnable wins, but he puts you in a way that he might be able to give you enough of an advantage that you can make it out without a sacrifice. And that's part of his whole shtick. So after we uh, leave the bathroom, um, shortly after we leave the bathroom and we find out what's going on, uh, we, we go to the first trap. Now, the first trap, and the traps in this movie are a little bit uh, much more simplistic compared to, like, the ones in later on ones where it's, like, there's, like, carousel, playground stuff and so many. We'll talk about other traps in just a second with the other movies because I'm going to also mention probably, like, one of my favorite traps, too, because how do you not when you're talking about the Saw franchise? But the first trap that we get to is of an, uh, for lack of a better term, obese man. Uh, he's left inside of this caged maze, which has razor sharp barbed wire all around it, hanging around the ceilings of the cage, uh, off the walls, everywhere. So no matter what, everywhere you go, you're going to get cut up by this thing, like every which way until you bleed to death, which long story short is what happens to the buddy. So that's the first instance that we get of uh, what Jigsaw does. And, these, and this is all done through... Uh, flashbacks because Dr. Gordon is like, oh, I think I know who did this to us. And he says, it's the Jigsaw killer. So we get the story of Jigsaw. He mentions that murder. Then he mentions another one where a gentleman is stuck inside of a room with a safe where there's a slow acting poison in his veins. The antidote is inside of the safe. He's covered in a flammable liquid. There's a tiny candle that only has maybe about an inch left of wick. The combination to the lock is all over the walls, which is completely pitch black in that room except for the candle. And he's got to use it to be able to look around and see what the possible combination is. He's got like, I think, an hour in order to be able to do it. Oh, and by the way, all over the floor is broken glass. So every single step that he makes, he's going to start to jostle the candle. And eventually he just turns into a, a, a just a big piece of charred briquette. Um, and, and, and like I said, uh, the, the jigsaw does put you in these unwinnable situations, but you might have a chance of making it out. Yay. And we, we, we all know that if you make it into this movie, you're, there's a, the probability of you surviving the Saw series, you have probably as good of a chance if you're in the Final Destination series to survive that. Like those are two movie franchises that if I'm in them, I'm going, well, fuck me. Because the possibility that you might actually make it out alive of either one of those franchises is very, very limited if you've got screen time. So keep that in mind, of course. Then after the cutaways, uh, we get to Dr. Gordon's life because at the, uh, the second murder where the dude was inside of the room with all the numbers on the walls, they found Dr. Gordon's pen light. Ooh, a little piece of information has been left behind. A clue, a clue. Yes, Blue, we'll go there. Don't you worry, we'll put it down in our handy-dandy notebook and remember it later. Because Danny Glover, who is a private detective, as well as his, uh, uh, his partner, who dies later on in the movie, um, they're like, aha, it's you who's doing all this, Dr. Gordon. Uh, Danny Glover is convinced that it is Carrie Ells. The whole time he's like, it's you. It's you. I'm just waiting for you to slip up and give me something that lets you say, yes, I've confessed to these murders. But spoiler alert, it's not Dr. Gordon. It's not Dr. Gordon at all. It's actually Tobin Bell, which we'll talk about him in a little bit as well. 
Now, we're going to the one of the most famous scenes, which I want to talk about in a little bit more detail right now. Um, it's Shawnee Smith's introduction into this movie. Now, her performance in this movie is only one day's worth of a shoot. And, you know, after reading about it and looking at the movie, you could tell it was only one day because it's literally her at the police station and her and her jigsaw trap. Now, her trap is probably the most famous trap of every single trap we've ever seen. First off, her head and the trap are in the movie poster. That shot that you see is of the reverse bear trap that she is put in. So that, first off, is the first thing that you see in the entire franchise, essentially. Like, if you're going to the movies and you go, oh, I want to watch that movie, that's what you see. So that's the first visual you get. Um, it's also one of the most famous scenes in this movie because of the fact Shawnee Smith is one of the only people that survive the jigsaw mo- the jigsaw traps in the first movie. One of the only people. Now, she also goes on to the to other movies with that as well in the Saw series, but we'll talk about that later because we're talking mostly about the first part. But the reason why this scene is so important in retrospect, um, the the original movie for Saw was made like kind of like a student film uh, with Winnell and Juan. And um, what they did was they essentially shot it like a short student film. The scene that they're showing is essentially Lee Winnell as Adam, but he is Amanda in that role. So it's that same trap. It's this same thing. So you can kind of look at it like the scene that you're watching in the movie is a reenactment of the original scene that they shot that got the studios going, hey, Let's give these guys $1.2 million in 18 days to make us a low-budget film that probably won't be too good for movie theaters, but we'll make it as a direct-to-DVD video. This is actually, for real, the way it originally was. Then people started watching it, and they were like, wow, this is really good, and they were like, let's give it a theatrical release. That's pretty much the process of how Saw became one of the biggest horror movie franchises of the millennia so far was supposed to be right there in your $5 bin in Walmart with your Sharktopus versus Super Cobra whatever. But no, one of the biggest movie franchises of the last 20 years. And that's how it started. So the point of that is don't give up on your dreams because you never know what the hell could happen. Look what happened to them. (laughs) Those two Australian boys, they made it. All right, way to go, guys. Now, after that, um, we find out in her trap, by the way, it's very uh, important to mention because she's the only one who survives uh, at least her trap up to this point, um, is that her trap is that she has the reverse bear trap. She's got like a minute to get out of it. Her key to get out is inside the stomach of her dead cellmate. The cellmate, spoiler alert, is not dead. He's just been essentially paralyzed where he can't speak, move, or do anything except feel. So he feels every single stab into the stomach. Now, the funny part about this scene, if you rewatch it, and this is something that I love because I, like I said, I'm a big fan of this uh, movie franchise. I even had like the DVDs where it had like the extra stuff and I've watched every single like little bit of extras and stuff like that. If I'm not mistaken, because it has been like a decade since I've seen it, there are certain shots in here where it's not Shawnee Smith. It's actually Lee Winnell. When you see like the close-ups of the hand, when the stabbing motion happens and going through the guts and pulling out the key, that's not Shawnee Smith. That's Lee Winnell. So Adam originally, the original person who did this, is also in the scene that made them where they are today in that respect. So kind of cool on that respect. 
um, we find out that Dr. Gordon is not the person who did it. He is still scot-free. And while doing this, we also get the famous um, moment where, the, where Billy the puppet comes out on his tricycle and he says the famous line, some people are so ungrateful to be alive, but not you, not anymore. And that is a very important line of dialogue to remember for Shawnee Smith, a.k.a. Amanda's character, because she becomes a very important character later on in the series. And it literally to the next movie and the following movie after that. So very big impact throughout the whole thing. And I love it because she gets the message that Jigsaw was trying to give because she literally whispers with like weakness in her voice, he helped me. So what he's trying to do, the message Tobin Bell, Jigsaw, John Kramer, the real character's name in the, in the movie, what he's trying to do is get everybody to appreciate being alive more and look at what happened. Amanda is getting the lesson. I'm not saying that I support the overall idea of like, you know, hate being able to or anger or destruction or pain being but you know it is a very good memory because think about this the if you you never if you did this as a kid if you ever put a fork in a light socket or inside of an electrical socket it shocked you your parents may not have some parents may not have said no 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 don't do that because he's going to hurt himself some parents might have been like let the kid learn because once he does it he's never going to do it again because he's going to remember why he didn't Kind of the same thing, like a memory pain. I'm not saying it is, but it kind of is because often at times it could be a traumatic effect that changes you and makes you go, now I need to do this with my life. So, you know, and that's what uh, ends up helping uh, John Kramer. That's what uh, is the reason why he's doing everything that he does. We don't find that out until uh, later on in the series because they don't explain it here because we don't get too much of Tobin Bell's story in this. We don't get too much of the John Kramer jigsaw story in this. What we're getting more of is what he does and why he's such a dangerous threat and his and uh, Dr. Gordon's family and Dr. Gordon and Adam and Danny Glover um, trying to find the jigsaw killer because he's obsessed with finding the killer. Because at one point, he gets so close. He's so in belief that Cariel's is the killer that he's like become obsessed like all over his walls he's got all these different like newspaper clippings and he's got string and you know it's 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 very conspiracy theory ish in his uh in his house and he honestly believes that Dr. Lawrence Gordon is the person who's behind all this but he has no way to prove it and so he starts to become obsessed stalking him like even Dr. Gordon even mentions that later on in the film but um we have Danny Glover who is so obsessed with this that he's like, we're going to find him. And then at one point, they find out where Jigsaw actually is at one point. Um, they find his little lair and they get to him. And this is where actually one of the traps that doesn't, well, one of the guys who actually makes it out of a trap. This trap, the, there's a gentleman is kidnapped inside of Jigsaw's lair. He's inside of a chair. He's m completely muffled, so you can't hear him speak. Everything is completely covered up. And... To his left and the right of his head are two power drills that are seated inside of a – with the chair. And the moment he turns on the machine, the drills start coming closer and closer to the guy's head, ready to drill into his skull. Um, the reason why he survives is because Danny Glover's partner ends up shooting both of the drills with his gun. Guy gets saved. Like I said, 
not everybody that's in a trap in this movie dies. A lot do in the later movies, but in this one, not everybody does. Because it's not so preoccupied about the murders and the death. It's more about the thriller story. That's more why, out of the entire series, this is probably my, this is my favorite one, because it doesn't go around the, yeah, let's just watch the bone snap, and let's watch the, the pain in his face, and let's watch as this woman's titty is pulled right off of her body. All that ridiculous, you know, I, I, I love it, because I love the Saw franchise, but it is ridiculous by comparison to the first movie. Even the directors themselves said, that this, everything after the first movie is more torture porn. He even said something along the lines of not verbatim, but I wasn't intending to make torture porn, but after the first movie, everybody wanted us to make it more like preoccupied about the traps rather than the story. That's why part one is a lot different than every other one. They're all kind of the same because they're all based on the general same idea of, you know, live or die, make your choice, and the choices that you make in your real life may come back to haunt you, kind of, you know, all that, but the first movie is more about that than this is what's going to happen if you don't. Like, it does in the first one, but it's more like, hey, it's a little bit. I think what it is also is that nearly, or clearly in the first one, they didn't have as much of a a budget as they did for the sequel onward. So with the sequels onward, they were able to say, hey, you could spend an extra couple thousand dollars to make this look that realistic. And, you know, that's how the franchise grew. I'm sure that probably helps too. Because again, this budget was, I think, 1.2 million only. And that's only a little bit for a movie of this magnitude. Um, but while uh, Danny Glover and uh, his partner almost catch Jigsaw, Jigsaw gets away, cuts Danny Glover's throat. Danny Glover's still alive, of course, but now he's kind of got like a raspy voice because his, his throat's been cut open. So now, you know, he's got a little bit of a, of a messed up vocal cord right now. Maybe it hit his throat only barely to the point that he almost lost his vocal box. His partner chases Tobin Bell. Tobin Bell gets away because there is a trap that the dude walks into with fishing wire by his legs. There's a lot of cobwebs right by where he walks. And once he walks by it, right above him over an arcway, once he passes over this uh, part of the of the hallway, there are like four or five shotguns that just shoot straight down into him and he dies immediately. And Danny Glover sees Tobin Bell get away and he sees his partner gunned down. And now he's even more obsessed because now on top of everything else, who he still thinks is Dr. Gordon, Dr. Gordon killed my partner. He killed my best friend. And it's all my fault. If I had been smarter, if, you know, all that goes through his head. They don't, they don't show that in the movie, but you get that because he's so damn obsessed with finding it and that he has to find it and redeem his buddy. He's like, he even says like, oh, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. Don't you worry, buddy. We're going to get him. Like he's talking to no one, but he's clearly talking to his dead partner saying, oh, don't you worry. We're going to get him. I'm going to get him. It's one of those. It's, it's a revenge kind of a thing. So he becomes obsessed with that. Then afterward, uh, we find out a little bit more about Dr. Gordon and Adam. We find out that Adam has been uh, taking photos of Dr. Gordon because he was hired by somebody to take pictures of Dr. Gordon. We later on find out that the person who hired Adam to take photos of Dr. Gordon is actually Danny Glover. So it goes back to Danny Glover being obsessed with him. So even to the point that he hired a private detective to get Adam in order to be able to say, hey, I need you to take photos of Dr. Gordon. 
So he's to the point that he's that obsessed with everything. Then we see, of course, later on, Adam getting kidnapped. And then we get to the cutaway where they're both in the bathroom. Um, Now, when we're back in the bathroom, we discover a little bit more because we start to hear uh, a phone conversation between Dr. Gordon and his family saying, don't trust Adam. Adam knows more about you than he leads on. So now Dr. Gordon knows that Adam has been following him this whole time, taking photos of him. And he's like, wow, I can't believe you've been following me this whole time. I'm a dick, but you're a dick for following me. Like, you know, screw you. So what ends up getting Cariel's into his uh, office or into the uh, bathroom, we find out later on, is that he is starting to he's a he's a he's a professional uh, doctor. Like I mentioned, he's a very talented doctor. And his love life is not going so well because him and his wife have been arguing a lot in their personal lives. At one point in the movie, uh, Carrie Ells goes to have an affair with one of his students. So what ends up happening is that the reason why he gets in there is because he doesn't go through with it. I don't know whether or not this is like maybe the third or fourth or fifth attempt or whatnot. Um, but it feels like it's only the first time and he backs out of it. So what ends up happening is, is that he has a sudden change of conscience and then he says, no, I can't do this. And then he leaves. But then shortly after he leaves without doing it, he gets kidnapped, wakes up in the bathroom and that's what ends up happening. So the reason why he ended up getting into that room was because of the fact that Tobin Bell, AKA Jigsaw was like, yo, you're a very successful person. You've got a wonderful wife and yet you're going to cheat on her with somebody else. That was pretty much his sin. Everybody has some sort of a, a, a sin to, to Jigsaw that it's like, how dare you? Like with the first gentleman, I think what it was was that he's, uh, he's, he's taking benefits or one of them are taking like benefits, pretending that they're not healthy. Um, you know, and it's things like that. He's like, oh, you know, you shouldn't do stuff like that. Now, the reason why Jigsaw is doing all this stuff and we don't see this until I think it's the fourth or fifth movie Um, because they go back into sequence telling about what started everything. Jigsaw um, ended up, uh, Tobin Bell, a.k.a. John Kramer, has cancer. Uh, He has brain cancer and and it is killing him. It is killing him, killing him, killing him. And one day after, and keep in mind his wife, this is after him and his wife, um, he he lost a son because his wife was pregnant and she miscarried. Um, it, It was a horrible accident, which led to the first trap as well. That's in part five. If I'm not mistaken, I'm it's been a while since I've seen the whole series. I just recently rewatched the first movie. Um, But um, in in the in the scene in the scene that we see where John Kramer uh, decides to do what he's doing, what ends up happening, he on the way home after being told, hey, you have cancer and you're going to die, drives off of a cliff because he's like, I'm just going to kill myself. He doesn't die. He somehow survives that. He has like a, a big metal pole that goes through his, uh, through his stomach and, you know, he, 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 he survives the crash. And in his mind, he says, I was ready to die and take my own life, but my body and my will to survive got me through it. And it was at that point that I realized I was ungrateful about my life and being alive that that's why I do everything that I do. So yes, the justification for all of this murder is because of the fact that he was himself saying, I hate my life so much, I don't deserve to live, almost died, couldn't get away with it because his body was like, no, dude, we're not dying. And then he appreciated life on a different way. And now he's trying to teach people, appreciate your life because look at how bad it can be. (laughs) 
You can get stuck in a bathroom. You can get stuck in a room filled with barbed wire. You can get thrown into a pool with hypodermic needles, like in part two. You, you know, there are so many different things that could legitimately happen to you. Appreciate your life. Appreciate the people around you. You know, realize that what you have is a wonderful thing and that you should be lucky that you are alive because some people aren't. And it's awesome because I got the message from this movie. That's why I love this movie so much. Not necessarily because I, I love it because it's a great horror movie, but I love it more because of the fact that legitimately I watched this movie and after watching it, I was like, wow, you know, life could be a lot worse than it is. And I started to really appreciate life. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of weird because one of the most um, t- torture filled franchises is something that helped me, which is kind of what Jigsaw was trying to do all along. The message that he was trying to get, I got to a certain degree. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not, you know, living life as much as I want to and doing everything I want to, but it did tell me, hey, you know, shut up because, you know, who knows what could happen. One day you could be walking down the street, somebody kidnaps you, and you never see your family again, knock on wood. But that's what I got from this movie. And I thought that that was really cool because that's the whole premise of it. So then we're getting to the end of the movie. It is now time where Dr. Gordon, by the way, should have shot Adam this whole time. This whole time he should have shot him. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, they're in a bathroom. How, how are they being monitored for this? How are they going to know? There's somebody that's watching with cameras the whole time. The gentleman's name is Zepp. He's actually somebody that works with Dr. Gordon, which is why Dr. Gordon is like, oh, I'm going to kill you, Zepp. And that's also why, if I'm not mistaken, the title song to this movie, the da-na-na, it's called Hello, Zepp. Because of the fact that at the end of the movie, we hear that the name of the gentleman is Zepp, and we even hear Hello, Zepp. I'll explain that to you as well because that's the ending of the movie. Not going to spoiler the ending just yet. We're almost there. So Danny Glover uh, realizes, holy shit, Dr. Gordon's house, somebody's at his house with his wife and his kid. And then he hears gunshots and he immediately goes, well, something's going down. I got to get over there. And he saves the wife and kid. Zepp runs away to try and get to Dr. Gordon because his whole thing is that now he's got to go to Dr. Gordon because he's got to go kill Dr. Gordon because he didn't kill Adam. That was the whole thing that was part of the contingency. Now, he's racing over there. Danny Glover is chasing him as well. Um, At that point, Danny Glover and him get to a very close altercation, and Zepp ends up shooting Danny Glover. Danny Glover dies in the movie. He's he's presumed dead. He's shot straight in the gut or toward the the heart, and and he is clearly dead. Um, Zepp is getting toward the bathroom while uh, Dr. Gordon is freaking out because what's happening also, by the way, what ended up happening and why he's freaking out, he got a phone call from Zepp and his wife, uh, Dr. Gordon's wife saying, hey, you got to tell him he failed because he's supposed to kill Adam by this time and he didn't kill him. So now I got to kill you and you're going to tell him. She breaks away. He hears all this. He hears gunshots. He hears all this. He doesn't know what's going on. While um, all of a sudden, like, and by the way, I forgot to mention the uh, the the cuffs that they're wearing around their ankles are uh, wired with electricity. Yes, they're electrical to the point that even the person who's running the room, Zepp, can hit a button to say, "You're not really dead. You're faking it. I need you to. Pr- you actually show me that you're actually dead, because if you weren't dead, this electrical shock would bother you." So Dr. Gordon is shocked. 
He lets go of the phone. Once he comes to, the phone starts to ring again and he's freaking out. He's reaching for it. He's like, oh my God, my family's calling me. I need to get to them. He can't reach. He's trying. He's using this box to try and grab it. He can't get to it. He's desperate. He's reaching out for the ropes. He's like, I can't get to the ropes. What do I do? So what does he do? He gets the damn saw and he cuts his own damn ankle off. And luckily, because he is a very professional doctor, he knows how to tourniquet his leg with his own shirt. He knows how to be able to cut it off. He knows that the risk in this case is worth the reward because he needs to get to his family. So he cuts off his own leg. By the way, he completely passes the phone at this point. And we'll talk about little things that I'm like, oh, come on about. He passes the phone. The original dead body that was in the the room, like I said, shot itself in the head. He goes to, he crawls toward it, grabs the gun, apologizes to Adam, shoots Adam, and he starts screaming, please show my family, show my family. But it's already too late in the, in the rules of the game. Not in what we're watching, but in the rules of the game, his family should be dead because he didn't follow the rules. And that's all you got to do is follow the rules. If you follow the rules, you'll survive the game. You just literally have to survive the game. So then the bad guy from Lost, a.k.a. Zep, runs in <laughs> and he's like, holy shit, uh, a lot of shit happened in this bathroom. What the fuck is going on? So he goes to kill Gordon because he's like, hey, it's the rules. You didn't kill Adam. But spoiler alert, here's a surprise. Adam is not dead. He was only shot in the shoulder. So Adam is now fighting Zep, kills Zep by taking uh, the toilet tank and just smashing it over his head over and over and over again until he is just done. And then Gordon is like, yo, I got to go get some help because I'm going to fucking die. I just cut off my leg. <laughs> I'm going to fucking die. I need to get the hell out of here. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get us some help. We'll, we'll get help. So he leaves Adam chained in the bathroom. Adam is like, I need to get the hell out of here because, you know, now this is all over. Let me try to get the hell out of here. So he looks on Zepp's dead body and he's trying to find the keys because he's like, there's got to be a key to this. Can't find a key. What he finds is a cassette tape and a player. And then all of a sudden, Hello Zep, the, the, the music by Charlie Closer uh, is playing in the background. And all of a sudden, all you hear is the words, Hello Zep, from Jigsaw. And then you realize the person that has been running this whole thing himself was in a trap the whole time. He was not the dude that ran the room. He was the guy that was forced into running the room because he has a slow acting poison coursing through his system and only Jigsaw, aka John Kramer, has the antidote and he said, will you murder a mother and child to save yourself? Just remember, there are rules to this game and you know what? Zep goes through with all the rules but doesn't make it out in the end and then the ultimate spoiler of this movie, the the most amazing twist ending, while we got a shot of Adam looking like, how the hell am I going to get out of here? Tobin Bell, John Kramer himself shows up at the end of the movie as the corpse that has been lying in the room with them the whole time, dead to the world, wakes up and leaves the room. You're like, what the fuck? And then he closes the room. Adam is left screaming to his, uh, to his fate worse than death where he's just stuck in that room for all eternity now until he dies. And then it ends with the credits coming in. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Saw. That is the entire movie of Saw. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other movies um, for just a, in a, just a brief moment. But a couple th- one big... 
Oh, one big plot problem that I have with this movie, and it's not so much a plot problem, but it's it, and I get it because it had to go to this part, otherwise it wouldn't have ended the same way. I do understand that, but I want to just simply point out, like, if you watch the movie, Doctor Gordon is the reason why he chops off his foot is because he's like, I need to get to the phone because my family needs me. He literally says that to Adam. And, and forget for a second that the moment he cuts off his foot, he goes past the phone, which is still ringing, I think, if I'm not mistaken, grabs the gun and shoots Adam, even though it's well over the time. So he thinks, hey, I might still have a shot. But then um, the thing that gets to me, right before he cuts off his foot, <laughs> he takes off of his shirt, wraps it around his ankle and makes a tourniquet out of it, right? Why in the hell could you not use your shirt to wrap over the phone and pull it closer toward you so you could pick up the phone and hear your wife go, I'm not dead. <laughs> like, literally, literally. And I'm, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to pick too many plot holes here. I understand that, you know, if it hadn't been for that, you know, the whole, the, 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 the movie poster wouldn't have existed because there wouldn't have been an ankle cut to a chain. And, and Gordon wouldn't have shot Adam. And, and, and when Zepp showed up, he wouldn't have been in the position that he was for Adam to have hit him. I get all that. But like when you sit there and think about it and you're just looking at it going, dude, you're, he's literally reaching out to the phone, which might be like maybe like a foot out of finger reach distance. He grabs a small box to try to grab it just a few inches out of distance. Your shirt is a long sleeve shirt. It will clearly wrap over the, you could have pulled it in. You could have pulled it in. And I know that I'm pu pulling, you know, I'm putting small holes into this movie, kind of like how people, when they watch Titanic, they go, that bitch could have scooted over and Jack could have had the door with, you know, so many of those little plot holes that we look at and we're like, it wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't have had the same impact, but it would have changed the entire movie entirely. And I get why it had to happen the way that it did. Uh, Cause then if that was the case, Gordon would have probably died right there because Zepp would have walked in and been like, Hey, um, you're chained still to this shit. Adam is way the fuck over here. So I'm going to shoot you because now Adam can't pull me in and beat the fuck out of me. You know, I'll, I get that. I get that for the twist ending. I do. I'm just simply pointing out that ending did not have to happen if he would have just used his shirt to not tourniquet himself instead to just grab the cell phone. I mean, there are a couple of other probably plot points that I'm probably missing too, but I wanted to talk about that first movie. First off, I love that movie. It's not... My favorite horror movie of all time. I don't know what is my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, one of them that was in the original top 25 but got uh, voted out from other movies was like movies like Cabin in the Woods and uh, An Evil Dead. You know, there were a couple of movies in here uh, that would have made it. Saw is the only horror movie aside from my nights doesn't count because like Hocus Pocus is not really horror, but you know, it's horror-based because of the characters and the Rocky Horror Picture Show is not a horror movie because it is a musical with transsexuals and transvestites and trans fat, I'm sure. I don't, you know, who knows what they cooked meatloaf with. Um, but this is the only horror movie that is in my top 25. And again, not my favorite horror movie. It, it's not. It, it is just one of those movies that when I saw it, it legitimately caught me off guard. I was not expecting the ending to happen um, and also just in general, I'm, I'm a big fan of horror movies. I'm a very big fan of horror movies, like until the Saw series. Um, and it still is one of my favorite horror movie franchises was the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And that is not even my favorite horror movie either. I don't know what is exactly my favorite horror movie. It used to be for a while, the original uh, Poltergeist. 
uh, which is still amazing, by the way. You should definitely go watch it if you've never seen it. The Steven Spielberg uh, original with Craig T. Nelson in it. Fantastic. Um, but I love the Saw movie because of the message that it had. And then um, this movie came out in 2004. I was 20 when this came out. And like I mentioned before, everything from like 98 onward, I was into like Jackass, uh, MTV, uh, professional wrestling. Uh, I was I, I was into uh, Rotten.com where like you would see like people who had like bullet hole shots. And I was all into that stuff. I watched stuff like Dr. Pimple Popper and Cyst and Abscessed Cuts. And I'm that person that likes to watch all those disgusting things. I've always been a fan of that stuff. I've always liked that stuff. Um, and, 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 and with that said, of course, the Saw franchise, I was going to enjoy because of the fact that I was in my twenties and it was like the next step in horror movies for me because it went to like, it took it to another level and it made it very realistic. So not only did it take it to another level, but it took it to another level and made it that I was able to relate to it on a different level other than just like, oh, it's something scarier. Oh, the monster's chasing the kids. Anything along the lines of that. So, you know, it was on a much more personal level for me that I was able to really relate to this movie. Um, and like I mentioned, Sha- Shawnee Smith, I want to go back and talk about for a second. She's in the second and third movie because she essentially was going to take on the role of the new Jigsaw to a certain degree. She was going to be that person and um, and then in the third movie, she ends up dying. Spoiler. In the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh movie, we get another Jigsaw who ends up being Detective Kaufman. Um, some of the traps, they get more and more ridiculous. Part two and three might be the two other ones that I really like. Everything from four onward, I'm not the biggest fan of. Um, because then it just gets to the point where you're just like, okay, it's just gratuitous rather than something for the story. Um, But what I love is that in part seven, Dr. Gordon comes back at the end. And I'm a big fan of this because the whole move, the whole movie franchise, I was like, Gordon's going to come back. Gordon's going to come back. It's got to be something with him. He's got to come back at the end of it because how would Jigsaw have walked out of the room and then Gordon is crawling away and they didn't cross paths? Like there had to have been something there. They show that in part seven that Jigsaw does get Gordon, does say, hey, why don't you help me? Because you understand what you need to do in order to survive. He's the guy who helps out Jigsaw through all the other movies with the surgeries, the the medical procedures, anything that had to deal with medicine or anything like that. Because I always sat there and I was like, how does a regular guy get all this stuff? Dr. Gordon was the financer in the end of it all. And at the end of it all, at part seven, which is in 3D, by the way, because every horror movie around that point had to be in 3D. Uh, Dr. Gordon shows up at the end, takes uh, Detective Hoffman and puts him back in the same bathroom that he was in because what ends up happening, Hoffman ends up killing John Kramer's wife and there was a message that was sent to Gordon that said, if my wife dies, go after whoever it was and you got to do what I need you to do. Puts Hoffman inside of the room, game over. And that's how the Saw movies end. And now we're not going to talk about Jigsaw because I don't really care too much about that one. But I love the Saw franchise. It's not as great as it was when I was originally watching it. Because the first time, a couple of times you watch it, if you're into like the, I like watching Blood and Guts and Hostel and The Green Inferno and just all that kind of stuff. It's great the first couple of times. The first one is the real quintessential great one because 
compared to the other ones, it's the one that has the most story. Every other one has great stories that do tie together in a certain like NCIS law and order SVU kind of a way. But after that, it's not as good as the first one. The first one is the most thrilling in my opinion. But with that said, we are wrapping it up for Saw today. I do want to thank you again so much for coming out and listening to our podcast. I know it was a little bit different because you weren't also hearing my wife in the background and you weren't hearing a lot of uh, what we talked about. But like I said, my wife, uh, she can't stomach movies like this too much. So I took the reins on this one by myself. But don't you worry, everybody. She will be back again uh, for the next movie that we're going to be doing together. She'll be back for that one. And the next movie that we're going to be talking about we're going back to the 90s because we, for the last movie that we did before was Spider-Man 2. That was in the 2000s. This is 2004. So we're going to go back to the 90s. We're going to go back a couple of years uh, to a very popular movie that I watched. Now, this is not necessarily one of the most famous movies by any chance, uh, by any stretch of the imagination by these guys. But Troy Parker and Matt Stone made a couple of live action movies. One of them is called Basketball. It is from 1998, and we will be talking about that movie in a little bit. So don't you worry. We will be talking about some South Park stuff in just a little bit. But I do want to thank you again so much for joining me for the podcast today. Now that's nostalgic. I have been your host, Fernando Lau. Look for me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at hi to everyone. Hi spelled H-I-G-H. My Instagram name is at Amnesia's Enemy. All together is one word, no apostrophes, no spaces, no nothing. And also, look for my wife. I know she wasn't here, but a shout out and a plug to my beautiful, beloved wife. Her name is Aja Lau, A-J-A-L-A-O, first and last names. You can look for her Instagram and her Twitter, at babydiva79, that's at B-A-B-Y-D-I-V-A-79. Thank you again so much for listening to our podcast. Please share with your friends, like, comment, rate, review. Please subscribe to our podcast. Tell anybody that you think that might be interested in hearing about our silly opinions of our movies and stuff like that. And like I said, the next one we'll be doing is basketball. Thank you again so much for joining us. Now that's nostalgic.